Perhaps at this time of year, there are some who may not think of Jesus any other time, but may even consider him, even remotely, uh, perhaps about his birth and perhaps only about his birth. But if there are those that may be thinking of Jesus, even remotely, I want to proclaim with you a message of why Jesus came. Hence the title, Why, why Did My Savior Come to Earth? And that's not something that we have to, to guess about. And many of us, having studied the scriptures for many years, have ready answers, I'm sure. But I've found that Jesus uses a phrase about 12 times in most English translations, these three words, I have come. I have come. And if you look at those statements in the gospel accounts, Jesus explicitly states some reasons why he came, why he came to this earth. And yes, it was out of his love, but it was for some specific purposes. And I'd like to, to explore, uh, when I have occasion to preach this month, on some of those texts where he says, I have come for this purpose. And the text for tonight is, is John 10, verse 10. John 10 and verse 10. I'm jumping ahead here. Uh, John 10, verse 10. The thief has not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come. There's the phrase. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Contextually, John 10, here's a revelation. John 10 follows John 9. And this is one of those occasions where... The preceding chapter goes right into the next. If you'll remember John chapter 9, there was a man born blind that is healed by Jesus. And if you read that chapter, you'll see some amazing things. Number one, how this man who was born blind but is healed, how he comes to faith in Jesus. How at the end of the chapter, he recognizes that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. But you'll also see how, how badly... This man is mistreated, especially by the religious leaders of his day. And they try to get him to discredit the one that he says that he had not known. This man that was born blind, that was healed, he had not known who, who Jesus was. That simply his name was Jesus, but, but he was able to do these miraculous wonders. And they end up, the religious leaders end up ex excommunicating him. Kicking him out of the synagogue. That's when Jesus finds him and asks, do you believe in the Son of God? The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I think that thief that Jesus is speaking about are those religious leaders that do not care about, about people as they should. In contrast... John chapter 10, beginning with verse 1, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. And as the good shepherd, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. That's one reason why Jesus says he has come. That they and we might have life and have it more abundantly. The, Jesus' word here is a present promise. 
Some have criticized Christianity, saying of Christians, they, they are so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. That Christians set their hope on heaven and therefore have nothing to offer us uh, people today. But yet Jesus, when he says, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly, is not just referring to eternal life to come, but even life now. He offers the abundant life now. In Mark chapter 10, Peter has said to Jesus, I have left everything to follow you. And it seems that in Peter's statement, he's looking for reaffirmation from Jesus. Lord, I've left all to follow you. And it's almost as if he is saying, tell me again that it's going to be worth it. Tell me again that it's going to be worth it. He recognized in his own life that to follow Jesus didn't mean that everything was going to be easy for him. And he had encountered difficulties. And some of the things that Jesus was teaching was very difficult for him. So, Lord, I've left everything to follow you. But watch what Jesus says. Mark 10, verses 29 and 30. Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But notice Jesus talks about now in this time, but also eternal life. Yes, you'll receive eternal life, eternal life in heaven. And that will make every, anything that you've had to give up or any difficulty that you've had to experience worth it. But it's not just eternal life in heaven that I'm offering you, that I'm assuring you. You're going to receive a hundredfold now in this time. If you've had to leave your father or mother because of your faith in Jesus... If you've had to give up a brother or a sister, physical family, because you want to follow Jesus, you're going to receive a hundredfold now and in the age to come, eternal life. I remember Cecil May, I think it was something he had written about this text. And he made mention, because some would take this text and, and say, well, see, God is going to bless you with abundance, with houses and, and lands and all that. And Brother May stated his understanding would be more akin to this. That if something happened to his home, Brother May said, I know there are several homes of my brothers and sisters in Christ that they would open up their home for me to stay in. And I think that's what Jesus is referring to. But the blessings, he says, for following me will come in this life, a hundredfold, and in the age to come, eternal life. Now, Jesus did not promise, again to reiterate, an abundance of things. In fact, in Luke chapter 12, when two brothers were arguing over their inheritance and one of them wanted Jesus to settle the dispute, Jesus basically says to them, that's not why I have come. I am not the judge of these type of matters. But then he issued this warning. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Jesus is saying, 
an abundance of things is not what makes your life abundant. That's not what makes your life full and meaningful. It's not the abundance of things. So Paul Rogers, a preacher, gospel preacher for many years, made this statement. Christ did not promise us an abundance of things. He did promise an abundant life. He did promise an abundant life. Question. And I hope this question will be asked of you by some who just think of Jesus occasionally, maybe about Jesus' birth in December. What makes the Christian life the abundant life? I want to suggest four things of many more that could be stated. Number one, what makes the Christian life the abundant life is because we have a Father. We have a Father. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. I love the NIV statement here. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And just as we sang this song, Why did my Savior come to earth? Because he loved me so. And it's only because of the great love of God that we can become and be called his children. Because as Christians, we know that the only way, yes, God created each and every person in the world. We're his by right of creation, but he wants us to belong to him by right of recreation, being born again, born into his family. And in that special sense, we are his children, and he is our heavenly father. And that only came about because he gave his son to die on the cross for our sins that, so that we can be reconciled to him. And so, yes, what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. But think about what that means to be able to call God, our creator, the sustainer of life, to be able to be able to call him Father, Father. I've heard different variations of this story, but this account was of a preacher that was on an airplane. And there began to be signs and communication that this particular airplane on this flight was headed for turbulence. The first one was when the sign came on, fasten your seatbelts. Not long after that, there was an, an announcement made that the the, the stewardesses would not be able to serve drinks because they were about to encounter some turbulence. And the preacher looked around and there were some looks of concern on the faces of the passengers. Only to be heightened when another announcement was made, we will not be able to serve a meal at this time because we're about to encounter some turbulence. And before long, they understood what they had been warned about. They encountered a storm. And the lightning that flashed, I mean, it was so bright even in, that, even in the cabin of the, of the plane. The, th the thunder just seemed so much louder because they were in the sky, in the, in the clouds. And people were, were gasping and they were so afraid, the preacher observed. But, but yet he saw one little girl that was reading a book with her legs crossed in her seat that didn't seem to be affected 
by what was going on around her. And sure enough, throughout this flight through the storm and this turbulence that was causing the plane to drop and to ascend. By the way, one time uh, Patrice and I flew to Washington, D.C. as preaching a meeting in Rockville, Maryland. And uh, they were gracious enough to allow me to bring Patrice with me. And we encountered just a little turbulence. And, of course, I felt fingernails digging into my arm. Probably still have nail prints. And I said, honey, when I, and I haven't flown that much, but when I, what I think about when we encounter this turbulence is just riding down a bumpy road. She said, but the bumps that we may encounter are way, go way, way down. So I blew it on that analogy. But throughout this severe turbulence that this plane was encountering, this, this little girl just seemed so relaxed. And so they finally made it through the storm. They finally landed. The preacher wanted to find out more. How was it that this little girl was able to be so relaxed when everybody else was anxious, nervous, scared? And she said, because my daddy's the pilot and he's taking me home. And the writer that was recording this account made this observation. In life, even as children of God, we're going to encounter turbulence. We're going to encounter difficult times in our lives. Yet we can, we don't despair. We don't have to be afraid because our Father is the pilot and He is taking us home. What a wondrous pr privilege! To be able to call the God of our universe our Father. Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. Jesus says, when you pray, say, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Father. What makes the Christian life the abundant life? We have a heavenly Father who loves us who watches over us, who cares for us, and who will ultimately take us home. Number two, the Christian life is the abundant life because we have forgiveness. We have forgiveness. I read this story many years ago, and it's continued to bless me, and I want to remind you of this. It's about a young girl named Christina. Longing to leave her poor Brazilian neighborhood, Christina wanted to see the world. Discontent with a home, having only a pallet on the floor, a wash basin, a wood-burning stove, she dreamed of a better life in the city. One morning, she slipped away, breaking her mother's heart. Knowing what life on the streets would be like for her young, attractive daughter, Maria, the mother, hurriedly packed to go find her. On her way to the bus stop, she entered a drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. She, the mother, sat in the photograph booth, closed the curtain, and spent all she could on pictures of herself. With her purse full of small black and white photos, she boarded the next bus to Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn 
to give up. When pride meets hunger, a human will do things that were before unthinkable. Knowing this, Maria began her search. She, she, she searched at bars, hotels, nightclubs. She went to them all. And at each place, she left her picture taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked to a hotel bulletin board, fastened to a corner phone booth. And on the back of each photo, she wrote a message. It wasn't too long before both the money and the pictures ran out and Maria had to go home. The weary mother wept as the bus began its long journey back to her small village. It was a few weeks later that young Christina descended the hotel stairs. Her young face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth, but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times she had longed to trade those countless beds for her secure pallet. Yet the little village was in too many ways too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned and her throat tightened as, as she walked across the room and removed the small photo. Written on the back were these words, Whatever you have done, Whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And she did. And what Christina experienced, and that loving mother who sought her child, was forgiveness. Forgiveness that we all desperately need. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it's even written of Christians, 1 John 1, 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. My paraphrase of that is, if we say, even as Christians, we say we have no sin, we just did. We all need forgiveness. We all have things we wish we could undo, things we wish we had not done, Wrong words, bad mistakes. But the good news of the gospel is that we can be forgiven. We can be forgiven. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We encounter the blood of Jesus when we surrender our lives in obedience to the gospel that Tucker presented this morning. When we confess our faith and, and, and die to sin and repentance and are buried with Christ in baptism, His blood washes away our sins. Our sins are washed away. We're forgiven. We're reconciled to God. We can call Him Father. And even as a Christian, when we stumble and fall, we have a way back. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1 and verse 9. If we'll turn from our sin as Christians and repent of it, then we can ask Him and He will forgive us 
and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleanse us from everything that would separate us from him. We can know forgiveness again all through the blood of Jesus. What makes the Christian life the abundant life? It's forgiveness. Number three, it's family. It's family. Just like uh, Tucker presented this morning, all those uh, foundational uh, principles of faith, foundational doctrines, uh, and how they tie in with baptism. Just as in baptism, we are born again. And when we're born again, we're born into a family. That's God's design. And we're born into His family. We're born into the church. Ephesians 2.19. I'm going to quote um, really a paraphrase, but I think it does a good job of conveying the idea. And the, the background is Gentiles versus Jews, Jews and Gentiles, and the enmity there. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. So those things that used to divide Jew and Gentile, when Jews and Gentiles obey the gospel... When they're born again, they're born into a family. They become part of God's family. You're not enemies anymore. You're brothers and sisters in, in Christ. You see, in, in establishing a relationship with God through Christ, we automatically establish a relationship with, with one another. All of us need a family. I love Paul Rogers' comment, Times will come when to have a family to have people call your name in prayer, to have people encourage you, to have people support you, will be more precious than gold. How many times have you experienced that precious relationship? Because you're a member of the family of God. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Also read about a preacher, an evangelist, who would travel often, presumably doing gospel meetings at uh, many different congregations. And when he'd visit these congregations, some would point out their lavish budget. Others would point out their facilities and how, how, uh, how great they were. But he said of all the, the congregations where he visited... The most moving statement he ever heard concerning a church came from an elderly woman who said this to him. When a person becomes a member of this church, he or she never has to bear a burden alone. May that be said of God's church wherever it meets. When you're a member there, You'll never have to bear a burden alone. That's what it means to be a part of the family of God. And that's what it means that the Christian life is the abundant life. Number four, Christian life is the abundant life because we have a future. We have a future. Second Timothy was likely the Apostle Paul's last letter. And in it he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. 
I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to also to all who have loved his appearing. He is finishing his race. He's finishing what God had called him to do in this life. But even at the end of his life on this earth, he's still looking at the future. The future that Christ was enabling him to, to have. That crown of righteousness, also called the crown of life, which he would receive, not just Paul, but all those who have loved his appearing and followed, and followed him. Christians have a future, a future that's been secured by the blood of Jesus and is offered to us by the amazing grace of God. I read about Sir Walter Raleigh, who fell in, into disfavor with the king. And though he was one of England's greatest writers and poets, he was beheaded in the Tower of London. And on the night before he was beheaded in 1618, he wrote a poem which was later found in his Bible in his cell. And this is what he had written. Here in the dark and silent grave, when we have wandered all our ways, is shut up the story of our days. But from this earth, this grave, this dust, my God shall raise me up, I trust. From this earth, this grave, this dust, my God shall raise me up, I trust. That's looking into the future with assurance that because Jesus rose from the dead and promised that when he came again, the dead in Christ would rise first, 1 Thessalonians 4, that he too would be raised. That's the Christian's conviction. The Apostle Paul wrote about it like this. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. In the Lord. Because of the resurrection, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Because Jesus was raised, you too shall be raised. He's assuring us and them. When the time comes for us, when we're facing the end of our earthly existence, the good news of the gospel is that we have a future, a future that is forever, and it's a future free from pain and trouble, and turbulence. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There should be no more death, nor sorrow, 
nor crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. I hope people will think of Jesus all year long. I hope more people will even think of Jesus this month around the holiday. But when they do, I want us to be able to say, yes, he came. He was born as a baby. But you need to understand why he came. Why did he come? Here's one reason. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And some of the reasons why that life is so abundant is because through Jesus, we can know God as our Father. Through Jesus, we can have our sins washed away by His blood. We can know what forgiveness is. We can have a family. It doesn't matter how big our physical families are. It doesn't matter if we get along or not. We, through Jesus, we can have a family. A spiritual family with God as our Father. And people to whom we're not physically related. We are blood related by the blood of Jesus. And because of Jesus, we, we have a future. A future that's bright. It's as bright as the promises of God. Folks, those are just some of the reasons why the Christian life is the abundant life. Do you know that life? Or do you need to surrender to Jesus so you can experience that life that he intends for you to have? If you're subject to the invitation of Jesus, if you're ready to obey the gospel, or if you need the prayers of the church, please come right now as we stand and sing.